in the summer of 2018, I believe, there was a, a Thailand soccer team. Do you remember this? The guy that got caught in that cave? Do you remember this? In, in Thailand, there was a, I believe it was what we would call a middle school soccer team. Anyways, a bunch of young children and their coach went to go exploring in a cave. Can you turn me down a little bit? Went to go exploring in a cave. And, and, and they get into there and they get way deep. I, I think it was about a mile deep into this cave. And then a massive rainstorm comes. And the cave is filled with water. Now, as this cave goes, there was ups and downs. And, and so although it was filled with water, where they were was dry. But they couldn't get out. So for 18 days in pitch black, these kids and their coach are stranded. <clears throat> no way to call out. And no one exactly knows where they're at. Thankfully, uh, I guess someone knew that they had been out in that area on this trip. Um, and and when you, if you were to Google this, you go on Wikipedia and you read about it. <clears throat> I mean, they, they pulled out all the stops to rescue these people. They had all kinds of specialized military trained people. They had, um, I want to say there was like some, their equivalent of a Navy SEAL. Uh, and they got this elaborate system set up to where like at all these places where there was dry land and then they'd go back through. Uh, they ran these cords and they, they had air tanks and they had all kinds of stuff. And what they'd do is they'd, they'd get a kid and they'd sedate them with anesthesia. They'd knock them out because it was easier for them as experts to move them through this incredibly dangerous trip. And, and they would take them on this mile long dive slash hike slash rescue. And, and they did this. I think there were there several of them. Uh, there's a lot. I, I can't remember the exact number. Forgive me. But they did this trip multiple, multiple times. One of those expert divers even died trying to rescue them. See, when someone's in need, you do whatever you can to get them to safety. And that's what those heroes did. The first responders, the divers, the firefighters, the, all of those people, they're heroes. And they pulled out all the stops because someone was stuck and they needed to be rescued or they were going to die. Tonight, as we finish up our core values sermon series, our, this is the fourth one, which is multiplication. And, and, <clears throat> and you say, what in the world does a rescue mission have to do with the core value of multiplication? Well, I'll explain to you. Our, our core value of multiplication is really that every member of our church is being disciples, or sorry, being discipled and making disciples. So every single member of our church, our, our core value, sorry, that may have been me, our core value is that every single one of our members is going to be discipled by someone. Someone is going to be intentionally pouring into their soul, causing spiritual betterment for their life. Okay, that's, that's kind of our version of, or our definition of discipleship. <clears throat> and every single one of our members is not only just gonna be being poured into, but they are going to be pouring into and causing spiritual good for someone else. 
multiplication. So, so where does that go with the search and rescue mission? Well, if you think about the life of Christ, Christ was the first one to come on the search and rescue mission. We all, the Bible says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So we are all in that cave, stuck, dark, in need of rescue because our sin, Romans 6.23, sorry, we didn't have these on the screens. This is a little bit of ad lib, so I apologize. Uh, Romans 6.23 says that sin, the wages of sin is death. So what your sin earned you is death. And so we've all sinned and fallen short. That sin causes us death, but Romans 5, 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He pushed the go-ahead button on the rescue mission. And so today, the text that we're going to look at is the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28. And what we're going to see in that is that Christ has conquered the enemy and has deployed us on a search and rescue mission. So, so Christ sends out his church. Christ sends out his people. Why? Because death is the only thing that we must do. Death is coming. And, and for the vast majority of people that live in our city and in our state and in the world are still stuck in the cave. They need you to come and pull them out and bring them to Christ. And so if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. If you need a Bible, uh, there's Bibles on the insides of our rows. Again, you've heard us say that a thousand times. That's our gift to you. We teach and we believe the Bible. And so we want you to know that what we teach comes out of that perfect inspired book from God. So that's yours. That's our gift to you. If you don't have one and you need one, please take it. If you do pick up one of those, it's on page 887, 800, no, sorry, 886 in the the Pew Bibles. So read with me in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. It says, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, verse 18 Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all or everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. For a little bit of context here, Jesus has just gotten off the cross, okay? Uh, The Roman, the Jews betrayed him. The Romans killed him. He was buried in a tomb, and now he's not there. That's what I mean, that Christ has conquered the enemy. Death was our enemy. Satan held us in the power of death, and Christ conquers that. And so because Christ conquered that, now he's sending out his disciples, us, his children, to go and rescue others out of the darkness of their sin and into the light of the gospel. And so Jesus, that's the context here. Jesus was brutally murdered and he's alive talking to his disciples again. Praise the Lord for resurrection that gives us chance at life. So Jesus is talking to them 
And, and they go to this mountain and they meet them there. And then in verse 18, verse 18 says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That means, Gage, will you bump my mic down a little bit? Because I'm gonna get pumped up in this sermon. <clears throat> I, don't, I want all of you to hear when I get done. So uh, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Think about that. Jesus is Lord of all things, heaven, spiritual, outside of this world. And Jesus is Lord, that means ruler, or in our common day, we'd say boss. So Jesus is the boss of heaven and of earth. And he says, all authority that exists is mine. He's saying that because he's fixing to give the church their marching orders. He's fixing to give the church the most important mission of its life, and he starts out by comforting them with his power. Quite literally, that phrase means all the power necessary to accomplish the task is mine. When Christ conquered the grave and was resurrected by the power of God, he, he proves his divine nature. He proves that he is ruler of all, that nothing could hold him down. And so he starts out, he meets his disciples after the resurrection, he's comforting them, he's fixing to give them the mission and he says, every ounce of power necessary to do what I'm fixing to tell you is mine. So he comforts them with his power and then he says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so if we've been given a mission, this first passage makes it very clear. On this mission, we must go. Part, part of the Christian life is going. That word go, right? There says go, comma, therefore. And we, we talked about therefore last week, so we're gonna get there. But he says go. And a lot of people think that go means you've gotta become a pastor or you've gotta become a missionary. And if you're not willing to do one of those two things, then, then there's really no big mission of God for you. You're just kind of a second rate Christian and sorry about you. Absolutely not. This word means as you are going. It's used a handful of other times in this very book. And it always is referencing someone who's going to a destination with a purpose. So whether it was a long journey or a short journey, and one of the examples in Matthew is the disciples are getting up and they're going into town to get something that Jesus told them to get. Go as you are going. So friends, if you wanna think about your life as you're at point A and death is point B, as you go out to your destination, which is death and then entering into heaven as a Christian, as you're going from point A to point B, you go from that destination with a purpose. And so our entire life has purpose now that you've put your faith in Jesus. You now have a mission to go into a search and rescue mission for every single lost person in the world, right? Big task. Remember his first sentence, I have all the power necessary, okay? And so it's as you are going. So you can think about your life to death or you can think about every day as you go to go get gas, you can think about, uh, we have two guys in our church that, that every two weeks, they spend two weeks with a bunch of men at what they call man camp, right? When they go on their, on their hitch for work. 
that that's an as you are going moment. Or, or we like to, we're always at the hangar. I'm getting to know some of these, uh, these, um, these ladies and guys' names. I'm starting to develop it. This is an as you are going moment. Or, or whether it's a daycare or whether it's a play date with some, with some other friends and their kids, as you are going. Notice this is an all-encompassing aspect of your life. Jesus says, I have all the power necessary. Now, in every aspect of your life, go make disciples of all nations. That's a heavy, that's a heavy task. Go reach every single lost person in the world. That's your mission. Thanks, Lord. We got our work cut out for us here, friends, right? But what I love, he says, go therefore, which we talked about last week that anytime you see therefore, you need to know what it's there for. And it's therefore the first verse, I have all the authority on earth. You've heard of, you know, I wonder if, if I share the gospel, that's, it's really against our company policy. Or, or I wonder if, you know, as a teacher in my school, I can't really talk about Jesus. L- let me just say, you have the right to share the gospel anywhere, anytime with anyone. Because Jesus is in all authority and he has said go. Now, take into consideration if you go up to your, to your principal of your school that really doesn't love Jesus and you say, and you share the gospel with him, you might get fired. Jesus said, I have all authority. It doesn't mean there's no consequences. So we need to be strategic. But, but what I want to say to you is how miserable would it be if you had a job and a career for 30 to 40 years And because you were always too afraid of losing that job, you never shared the gospel with your coworkers that will most likely die and go to hell. I'm not saying go out and be a jerk and break all your company policies and get fired tomorrow. It's not what I want. There's a a group of people right down the road that do a great work smuggling Bibles. And they go into a lot of countries where it's not legal to do that. But guess what? That rule goes against God's rule. And God has already said, I've got all the authority in the world, now go. Now, did they get arrested for like a lot of days last year at the same time? Yeah, they did. Were they held without reason other than the fact that they were Christians in that country? Yeah, they were. But no one could take away their right to share the gospel because Jesus, the Lord and earth has already said, go. Like I said, I'm not saying go out and (laughs) stick it to the man tomorrow, but just know that there's nowhere on earth that you don't have the authority to represent Jesus. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we saw that in, in the first verse that on this search and rescue mission, we must go. Now here's where I get to be a real good uh, cliche preacher, you must go, but now you must sow, right? So there's a biblical word of sowing the gospel, uh, sowing the seed. And, and so that means to, to share with your mouth the gospel. And so we've already seen that we must go. And now as it says, make disciples, we must sow. Now, what I'm fixing to tell you, you may not believe me. When, when you look at, at this word, make disciples, or the, this phrase, It's upon that phrase that the entire passage operates. This is the imperative. This is the overarching thrust of the text. 
And then baptizing and teaching are the two things that modify or, or making disciples is the key command. Baptizing and teaching is what following out that command looks like. Now, make disciples was originally written in a language that's not English and had a lot more to unpack in it. And what that word means is to urge people to become followers of Jesus. Like Tyler, I don't know if those two words mean that, if you're, like that really long sentence that you just said. No, I, I promise you, you can look it up. That's what that word meant to the audience. So when Matthew was writing this to his audience, they would have known that what he meant was, go therefore and urge people to follow Jesus. Well, how do you know that title? Well, one, because you studied the word and its meaning, but two, because the very next thing says, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The entire New Testament, the only people that get baptized are Christians. The only people who get dunked in water and are baptized is because they've put their faith in Jesus. And so go therefore and blank, baptize them and teach them. They had to have gotten saved. How do they get saved? Well, the book of Romans says that faith only comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. That means you've got to go tell people that there is a really, really toxic teaching going around right now that says, I'm going to share the gospel with my actions and I'll use words when necessary. Unfortunately, the Bible does not condone that type of evangelism. <laughs> You can do that type, but it's in no way, shape, or form recommended by Jesus or anyone in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't live a holy, exemplary life to where people look at you like something's different about that guy. But if you are going to make disciples, that means you have to use your words. Now, there's a couple things that I do. I, I invite people to come join us at the hangar to come worship with our church. I ask people, are you, are you a Christian? Like there, there's, there's things that I do that aren't sharing the gospel. Like I invite them to our church gatherings or we're gonna plug an event right now. We're doing a snowshoeing event coming up. I, I invite people to go to those events as, as a way to start a relationship with them. I, I don't always just right out the door, share the gospel, okay? I'm admitting that. But if I ever want my friends to be able to change from going to hell to going to heaven, I have to use my words. So there's two, there's two ways to know whether or not you actually shared the gospel. This, this word, make disciples. The entire great commission, one of the most popular, well-known verses in the Bible because it is Jesus' last words to his, or some of his last words to his disciples. He says, go and make disciples. It's very important for us to know what this means. It means urge people to follow Jesus. You have to use your words. Here's two ways that you can know whether you shared the gospel or not. Now, if that person leaves the conversation and they know that Jesus died for their sins and that they can repent of those sins and put their faith in Jesus, then you shared the gospel with them. Does that make sense? If they know that your church loves them and you want them to come to their church, that you didn't necessarily share the gospel. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Inviting someone to come here and worship with our church is, is a fine and good thing. But our command from Christ our Lord is to go and use our own words to tell people that Jesus died for their sins and they can repent and put their faith in him. That is the main mission of your life and our church's purpose right there is to go and make disciples. Now that is incredibly hard. I get it. 
How many of you just love going up to random strangers and telling them that without Jesus, they're going to hell? Does anyone love that? Yeah, there's, there's no hands going up because it's not fun. It's not an enjoyable task. Remember, this is a search and rescue mission. It's mandatory. It's not that you're like, oh, I wonder what I should do today. No, it's, this, if, if you're on a search and rescue mission, you're forced to be there because there's a need. So there's, there's a couple ways that you can get into that. One, one is just sharing your story with them. When you become friends with someone like, hey, can I, just, can I just tell you about my life? Can I tell you who I am? Or what I like to do personally is tell me about yourself. What makes you tick? What do you, what do you want to accomplish in this life? Tell me your story. 99% of the time, they're going to say, here's my story. What's your story? Great. Tell them your story. Tell them what you love to do. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. And in doing that, you can say, and, and heck, man, this is my story, but that can also be your story. I know that we're just friends. You may think I'm the weird guy now that's talking about Jesus, but hey, he does love you. And man, I know you said you wanted to accomplish these things, but what does it matter if you accomplish all those yeah, you don't accomplish it, that you know the God that created you. Share your personal story. Another thing is asking them what they believe. <clears throat> There's so many tragedies going on in the world. Say, man, what do, why do you think these bad things happen? Don't set people up. Be genuine. Don't ask questions you really don't know the answer, you don't care to know the answer to. But if you genuinely care, like, why, why do you think these things happen in the world? How do you explain these things to your kids? Ask them. And this, can, I, can I share with you what I think? Can I share with you that I think that at the end of all things, God's gonna make all these evil things right because he punished evil in his son, Jesus, on the cross. And I had committed evil too, and he forgave me. And you've committed evil, and he, he can forgive you. Right, so you see how you get into the gospel. Let, let me just do a newsflash. Sharing the gospel is never easy. It's always necessary, okay? I get it, I feel the pain, I feel that I'm the guy up here telling you what to do and you're sitting there like, but you don't know. I don't, I don't have to know all your situations. I know in my own life sharing the gospel is difficult, but it is always necessary. Another great way to share the gospel is in times of pain and in times of hardship. You simply say, can, can, I, sim can I share with you what brings me hope on hard days like this? Hey, can I, can I share with you what brought me hope when I lost my family member? Can I share with you what brought me hope when my marriage was in the, was in the garbage? Can I, can I share with you? And then simply just tell them what Jesus did for you in those times and that they too can put their faith in Jesus. There's three really great ways. Share your story. Ask them what they believe about God and religion and all these things. And when someone's hurting, just say, can I please share with you what brings me comfort in this time and share the gospel with them. It's a phenomenal way to do that. Um, <laughs> my encouragement, my heart, Outfitter Church, I want you to hear my heart. I want you to always invite people to Christ before you invite them to the hangar. I'm gonna preach the gospel. So if you invite them to the hangar, great. They're gonna hear the gospel. But the culture of our church, what I want to develop is that we're inviting people to Christ. We're inviting people into our lives long before we ever ask them to come sit in a chair and hear some weird dude preach about a God they don't believe in. I want them to get to know you. I want them to get to know Jesus. If they get to know Jesus, guess what? They're gonna come to the hangar. So let's start with, let's not put the cart before the horse, okay? 
So my hope and one of the things that I want to drive in for our church and I want to live it in my own life is that we invite people to Christ and we invite people into our lives ever before we invite them into the hangar. Let me comfort you with some hard truth. You will be rejected. You're going to meet someone. You're going to think that they're going to be your friend. You're going to say something about Jesus and they're going to ghost you. <laughs> you know, they're not going to text you back. They're not going to talk to you. They're going to say, hey, I really enjoyed this conversation and then never talk to you again. That happened to me one time. I thought the dude was going to give his life to Jesus. Shared the gospel with him. Told him that you know, this is what's going on. This is this, this and this. And he's like, man, thank you so much. Shook my hand. It was super nice. I saw him like two more times after that and I've never heard from him again. I don't know why he quit talking to me, but I'm wondering if me telling him he was going to go to hell without Jesus has something to do with that. I said it, I promise you, I said it in the most loving way I possibly could. And we had a great conversation. He thanked me afterwards. But I'm going to talk to him again. Let me comfort you. Jesus said, if they hate you, know that they hated me first. So Jesus is already like, look, I'm literally God. I am perfect. And they hate me. They're going to hate you too. One of the things he told his disciples was as they'd go from city to city and they'd share the gospel. If people rejected the gospel, you wanna know how heartless this sounds? It's really comforting in our really, really, really nice, polite, politically correct culture. Jesus gave some phenomenal advice. He said, shake the dust off your feet and go on. So when the disciples would go into a city, they'd share the gospel and they'd try and kill them or hurt them. You know what Jesus would say? He'd say literally, shake the dust off your feet. As you exit the city, shake the dust off of your feet and go on. They have rejected the God that killed his son for them. That's a hard thing to hear in, in our day and age. That's even hard for me to say. And I'm not telling you that if you share the gospel with someone and they don't accept it, to be a jerk to them. But if someone rejects the gospel and doesn't want anything to do with you, guess what? It's not the right time. Go on until maybe, maybe you get another chance to share with them at another time. And here's another thing. Well, I'm gonna befriend someone and then I'll share the gospel. Well, when do you share? Month one, month six, month 12, month 24? Finally, if you wait so long to get to share the gospel, then you're like, hey, did you know I'm a Christian? Like, why, you're a Christian? That's so weird. Why didn't you tell me that? We've been friends for two years. You never shared the gospel with me. Look, if someone won't talk to you after you shared about Jesus with them and about who you are as a Christian, you weren't gonna be friends with them anyways. A friendship where you can't be who you really are is not a friendship. That's fake. It's fabricated. Share the gospel early and you'll see what God's doing in that person's life. One of my greatest friendships, I shared the gospel like my first time to ever hang out with a guy. He was like, cool. Guess what? We still hang out all the time. I, I, I love it. It's amazing. So I encourage you, share the gospel early. And if the person rejects you, they were going to reject you and Jesus anyways. Don't wait to tell someone about Jesus. You were never promised tomorrow. So at this point, we've, we've seen in Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20, that, that um, Jesus has deployed us on a search and rescue mission. And on that mission, we must go. We must sow by sharing the gospel. And now we must grow. So he says, make disciples, urge people to become followers of Jesus now what must we do? We must baptize them and we must teach them. Verse, verse 19, or sorry, 
Yeah, back half of verse 19. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you till the end of the age. So the first step is baptism. Guys, next week, we're doing baptisms. Where I'm standing is gonna be an in-text, pure small, eight-person hot tub right here. Inflatable hot tub, baby. We're gonna heat it up and hope that the heater works. But if it's not, we're still gonna baptize people. You wanna know why? Because that's what Jesus told us to do, is to go out, urge people to become followers of Jesus, and when they do begin following Jesus, baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's God. Baptize them in the name of the Trinity, the name of our God. And then teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. Teach the whole Bible. That, that's our job, right? It's as simple and as incredibly complicated as that. So, so baptism, why, why in the world, next week, why in the world am I going to stand in here, or probably kneel, with people, and why are we going to put them underwater and pull them up? That's weird. Like, why? Why water? Historically, God has used water in, in some powerful ways. I think about early on in the Bible, in Genesis, there's a guy named Noah. Anyone remember Noah's ark? God floods the earth because they are, the, the, the earth had just completely been wickedly sinful. And God said, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna handle this. I'm gonna create an ark and I'm gonna put Noah and his family and, and two of every kind of animal on that. And when the waters came, guess what? The only way that Noah was not destroyed by God's wrath on sin and rebellion was by his grace and his provision of the ark. Okay, so the water symbolized God's judgment on sin. Now move on into where, um, uh, into the book of Exodus, where, where Moses is being called to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery with Egypt, right? So they're going out, they get to this place called the Red Sea. They get to the Red Sea and God does this miraculous thing where he splits the dadgum ocean. Okay, I don't know if that's a Wyoming word, but it's a Texas word. It means like, holy smokes, that's crazy. So um, he splits the dadgum ocean in two and the entire nation of Israel crosses on dry land. People are like, well, mm, that's impossible and God can't do that. Really, it's just a shallow body. Well, guess what? When the Egyptian army came through, it wasn't a shallow body of water. You know what it was? It was an ocean that collapsed on them and killed an entire army. The only way that God's people passed through God's judgment on sin and rebellion was by his grace. Notice the water was parted. The water then, when the Egyptians came through, acted as God's wrath on sin. Now, Jesus tells us to baptize. Jesus tells us to do that to believers that have put their faith in him. So when we tomorrow or next week, when I get in this water and there's people who've put their faith in Jesus, but they've never been baptized, we're gonna put them down buried in the likeness of Christ's death. So symbolically, you're dying to who you used to be and you're being resurrected like Jesus' resurrection. You're being raised to walk in a new life by the life of faith that God has given you. Now, guess what? You're going underwater and coming out of water. That water symbolizes God's wrath on your sin and rebellion. And the only way you get to go down and come back up safely is through the grace of his son, Jesus Christ. God has always used water to symbolize those things. 
And so we stand in a long line of people who by God's grace have passed through the waters of his wrath and judgment. And so I'm so excited. I don't care, I don't care what you have planned next week. You need to be here. You need to celebrate people giving their lives to Jesus through baptism. It's gonna be amazing. So our job is to baptize. And then our job is to teach. And oh, how I wish teaching was as easy as baptizing. Baptizing is a one and done. You got to talk them into doing a testimony video and dunk them in the water. We're done. Okay. Don't slip on the concrete on your way back to change your clothes. And we're done. We've accomplished part of the Great Commission. The other part says, teach them to observe every single part of the Bible. Amen. Like, holy smokes. That gets a little bit more intense. Now, that word right here, teach, where it says, teaching them to observe, it's a twofold command. There is a formal and an informal aspect. We're going to Touch on formal and then really dive deep on the informal, okay? Formal teaching of the Bible is what we do on Wednesday nights. We also do what we call members meetings. That's, that's for the members of our church to gather. We share a word together. We, we take communion. Uh, we affirm members. It's a beautiful time together as a family. That's also another formal opportunity um, eventually down the road, we're going to have home groups where we meet in each other's houses, have dinner, study the scriptures together and develop in community and fellowship. We, we don't have enough people for those right now. So they're coming, okay? Keep leading people to Jesus and we'll get home groups faster, okay? So those things are formal gatherings of your church. That's the formal teaching of God's word. And, and I would say to you that while coming to our members meeting is not necessary for you to go to heaven or attending our church on Wednesday nights, it's not like, oh, you can't go to heaven because you didn't go to Wednesday night service last week. Why would you miss out? If these are the formal times that your church is gonna teach the word of God and strengthen the church, why would you miss? Jesus' command is that, is that as part of our growth is that we would be formally taught the word of God. So when you're, when you're dedicating, when you're changing, when you're sacrificing your schedules to be at the formal gatherings of our church, you're fulfilling the Great Commission. There's nothing weak about showing up on a Wednesday night like, oh gosh, all I did was go to church this week. No, you partially fulfilled the Great Commission and worshiped Jesus. So that's the formal aspect of, of it. The informal aspect is, is where we're gonna spend the most of our life. Um, look at the screen at Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine. It says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be as a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. What he's telling the Israelites is in every aspect of your life, teach your children to follow God. Not much changes when Jesus is speaking to the church and he says, in every aspect of your life, teach them to follow God. We've just broadened it from our family to the church. And so what's amazing about that is it means that we can always be discipling. I try and live by a phrase of don't ever go anywhere alone. I had to go to Sportsman's Warehouse the other day and kill some time. I invited two people to go with me. One person who's in here tonight 
turned me down and wouldn't come. The second person who's in here tonight said, yes, we had a great time. So I'll let you figure out who denied me. But I, I live by a rule of I don't, I try not to go anywhere alone. Why? Because I want to be with people. I want to influence their lives. I want to be influenced by them. You start with your family, then you focus on the church, and then you focus and you try to share the gospel with your non-Christian friends. This is a long-term process. I think of the people who I've discipled in my life and the people who have discipled me. There's a guy who's discipled me for 10 years now, and I still talk to him regularly. He's still investing in my life, and I haven't arrived yet. He still looks at me and he's like, dude, you are a goofball, man. Like, could you please figure it out? And, and this is a 10-year process. This is, this is a lifetime commitment. I, I want to read you something. And, and I want to think, discipleship is, is informal. It's, it's literally Deuteronomy 6. When you're laying down, when you go to sleep, when you wake up, when you drive in your car, when you eat in your house, it, it's getting at every part of your life. In every part of your life, you're supposed to be spiritually benefiting other people and being spiritually benefited by others. That's the church. We, we take care of one another. So in light of that, who's going to teach your children to love Jesus? Who's gonna teach our, our Who's gonna teach our church to love Jesus? Our church. Who's going to teach us to handle our money in a godly way? Who's, who's going to teach the next generation about sex? I said it. We're in church. I get it. I got it. Guess what? If you're not willing to talk about God's glorious design of something that's amazing and meant for a husband and wife, Satan will love to teach someone else the wrong way to do it and the wrong time to do it. It is our responsibility for every person in our church that we come together and we instruct one another on how to live faithfully with the Lord. I want to read you something out of this. It says, churches don't need programs as much as they need cultures of discipling. Cultures where each member prioritizes the spiritual health of others. I had a lot more to read, but I looked at my watch and we're getting low on time and I, and I need to let you guys get home. But, but and, and look, please, some of you are in this room right now and you've asked me this question and I'm not knocking on you, I promise. But I oftentimes get asked, what Bible studies do you got going on? What, 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 what times are these? What? And every time someone asks me a question, you know what? It's always talking about a formal way of teaching God's word. Time and place, can I show up for this? What time and place can I show up for that? And, and what I want is that I wish before anyone could even ask me a question about what our Bible studies are, I wish that someone already intercepted them, invited them to, to City Brew, and is like, hey, let's sit down and talk about Jesus together. Because I want in our church to have a culture of where every single member of our church is personally um, invested and responsible for the other members of our church. And that we know that, that when that person goes to heaven, we want to make sure that we had a hand in getting them there well. And when that person gets married, that we had a part of helping them have a healthy marriage. And when that teenager goes off to college or into the military, that we have set up a foundation for them in which they can live for Jesus. We're, we're going to have Bible studies. I, I promise you. And they're a good thing. They're a great thing. But they're not the only thing. 
My hope is that our church would be so focused on caring for one another's souls that we're meeting in each other's homes from week to week, from day to day. We don't have to pick a time and a place. We figure it out with our schedules and we study scripture together and we love one another and we pray for one another and we counsel one another. Jesus ends this. Oh, sorry. Say, okay, Tyler, you've told me I need to be personally responsible for our church. Where do I start? Ready? Start with your family. If you have a wife or a husband, your spouse, make sure that your spouse is doing well. If you have children, they are your responsibility spiritually. So you start with your family, okay? Can't stop there. It's not me, my foreign, no more. But then you go, the next thing you look for is their spiritual state. You can't disciple someone who doesn't love Jesus. You can share the gospel with someone who doesn't love Jesus, but you can't disciple them of how to follow Jesus if they don't follow Jesus. Okay, so you want to disciple a Christian. And I really want to encourage you, you want to disciple someone that's a church member. Why? Because it, it just makes proximity and, and sense. You're going to be here. I'm, you're going to hear the same message. You're going to have the same discipleship. You're going to have the same pastor. You're going to have the same church covenant. It just makes a lot of things mesh a lot easier. And our church needs you to be making disciples with us. So church member, now for deep discipleship, in the same gender. Titus chapter two talks about men discipling men and women discipling women. That is not politically correct in our culture, but we're gonna be biblically correct, not politically correct, okay? I, I need a man to pour into me and teach me how to be a man of God and to love my wife and my kids, okay? Uh, and so men discipling men, women discipling women. You also look for someone with an age, whether they're younger than you, that's typically how it goes, or whether they're spiritually younger than you. You may have been a Christian for 10 years, they're a Christian for two. Invest in them, okay? Also look for someone who's different than you. That's what's amazing about the gospel is that I have nothing in common with some of our church members and yet we serve Jesus well together because Jesus brings us together. And then find someone whose schedules meet. If you work days and they work nights, probably not gonna be able to disciple them, okay? Find someone who you can actually meet with and pour into them. Cause them spiritual good. If you know Jesus, you can offer something to somebody, okay? Jesus ends this mission by saying, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. <laughs> he gives us the hardest mission ever given to anyone. <laughs> but he starts out by saying, I have the power to accomplish it and I'm with you the entire way. I remember when, when, when I was a kid, uh, I'm still terrified of the dark now. I just have guns and I'm a little bit less afraid of the dark. Um, but as a kid, I was terrified one night because I heard some voices outside my window. And I do what any brave teenage, young teenage boy would do. And I called my brother, a four-year older brother. He's better looking than me, he's stronger than me, and he's cooler than me. And I called him, I said, Josh, somebody is outside my window. He's like, all right, meet me in the hallway. Our doors opened up and we were in a hallway together, right? So I get out there. <laughs> terrified. My brother, who's a phenomenal baseball player, he comes out with a wooden bat in his hand and he's gripping it in the middle of the bat. And you can just like see the veins in my brother's forearm coming out. And I was like, oh, 
we're going to be just fine. I was like, take me to mom's room. And he was like, all right, let's go. And I'm just kind of like, man, I wish someone would walk through that door. Oh, I just love to see my brother knock him out. And, and as soon as I saw my brother appear from his room with a Louisville slugger wood bat in his hand and his veins and his forearms, I was like, oh, I'm good. Because he's going to walk me to mom and dad's room and I'm going to be safe. Because if anything attacks me, that forearm is going to put him down, you know? And, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, look, guys, I get that I just called you on the most dangerous mission ever. I will walk with you every step of the way. I'm gonna ask our band to come up. Church, you have heard from God, from God's word, that we must go out and make disciples. What action step do you need to take? I'd love to know. If you, want, if you want help with that, please, if you, if you need resources, if you don't know what to do, talk to me. Talk to someone in our church. You can't go wrong with the Bible. <laughs> Start there. Don't take six months to pick someone to invest in. Just start tomorrow. Start tonight. Text them, say, we're meeting up soon. Let's talk about Jesus. Take action. If you're in this room tonight and you've not put your faith in Jesus, what I want to say is that the search and rescue mission has come to you. For some reason, God brought you here tonight. And he's calling you. He's calling you to accept the life raft and say, will you let me save you from your sin? And I will save you from that. And I will give you a purpose of bringing other people out of their bondage to sin. If that's something you want to do, I'm going to pray. That's what we do every service. Is we just declare truth. If you want to give your life to Christ, I ask that you would just pray this prayer under your breath or pray it to yourself. And then we're going to sing in response to what we've heard. So if you're ready to be rescued from your sin, pray this prayer. God, I need you. I'm lost. I can't rescue myself. I accept your death on the cross. I accept your resurrection. I want to go. I want to make disciples. I want to be discipled. I want to follow you. I want to be baptized. I want to spend my life rescuing others like you've rescued me. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to just mark that on that connection card or come tell me or tell someone in this church afterwards. We want to get you a Bible. We want to help make a disciple out of you. And we want to help you make disciples. Now let me pray for our church and then let's sing. Father, you've given us bar none in the Casper area. 
We want to reach every single person that doesn't know you in this place. Give us strength, Lord. Thank you for walking with us. In Jesus' name, amen.